In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today we're going to speak about a topic that maybe we touched on a little bit today in the sermon uh, of the Gospel, um, and it's the idea of the inner man. We speak about the inner man, which is um, kind of our spiritual connection, or our spiritual activities that change is who we are internally, um, as compared to the exterior and external actions that we do. And what is the relationship between the two, and how can we talk about each one? And a lot of the quotes that I'm going to read from in this presentation is by a saint, a Russian Orthodox saint, whose name is Saint Dmitry Rostov. Okay. So we ask this question of what exactly do we mean when we say prayer and worship? You know, a lot of times when we think about prayer, what we're really thinking about is the external aspects of prayer. We think about um, standing, uh, reading from the Agbeya, or praying personal prayers with words. And if you try to find a picture online of somebody prayer praying, you'll see somebody in some position or posture um, of prayer. And a lot of times that's what we think of. Okay? But there is a, a large aspect of prayer which is more of an internal activity or eternal connection that we have with God and communication with God that is completely hidden uh, maybe from an external perspective. So um, St. Uh, Dimitri, he speaks about this idea of the inner uh, closet, that should be a closet, of the heart. He says, there are many among you who have no knowledge of the inner work required of the man who would hold God in remembrance. Nor do such people even understand what, God re what remembrance of God means or know anything about spirituality, prayer, for they imagine that the only right way of praying is to use such prayers as are to be found in church books. What do you, what do you think about that? What, what comes to mind when you read something like that? Okay, so so you don't have to use a church book, okay? So why do we use church books then? To prolong our presence in front of God. Okay, good. Anyone else have any other comment about it? Directions? You mean to, to read scripture that is related to the thing that we're praying to God about. Okay? Okay, good. So it reminds us of the words of scripture, which are God's promises, and reminds us of the character of God in prayer. Okay, good. What else? Okay, it's part of the church rites, but why is it part of the church rites? Mm -hmm. So the church is setting out something that is beneficial for its people, right? So the church had something in mind whenever they are coming up with something like the Egbeya, right, that we use in prayer. 
Um, so, so when, when we, in light of this, right, he says, what well, there are many among you who have no knowledge of the inner work required of the man who would hold God in remembrance. So who is he talking to? Yeah, he's, he's actually talking to the people in the church, right? He's giving a sermon to the people in the church, and he's saying, there are many of you who have no idea of what is the inner work of prayer. This is what he's saying. There are many of you that don't understand prayer at all, what prayer is at all. And he's saying what? Nor do such people even understand what remembrance of God means, meaning what is the word, what is remembrance of God? What does he mean when he says remembrance of God? Okay. Okay. But the word remembrance means something. Okay, that's part of it. Okay. The practices, like spiritual practices and sacraments. The, the word remembrance means like the awareness of God. Right? We had spoken a, a long time ago when we spoke about what is prayer. And we said that prayer is the awareness of the presence of God. Right? It can be manifested in different ways. So when I stand before God and I'm praying either a personal prayer or praying with the Agbeya or in the liturgy praying, all of these activities are meant to make me aware of the presence of God. Okay? But the prayer itself, the core aspect of prayer is the remembrance of God, the awareness of the presence of God. So here he is saying a lot of people don't even know what the real focus of prayer is. Sometimes we focus on the external aspect of it without understanding or participating in the internal aspect. And, and this is what he's saying. Okay? What is this inner work? Prayer is work inside of, a, inside of a person, not an external activity. It is not interested in external success or attention, but on being in union with God who is invisible. This is the inner work of prayer. Uh, when we say that we want to pray, what we really want to achieve is awareness of the presence of God and to be humbled in His presence, to be in awe at His presence, to be comforted in His presence, to be joyful in His presence, to feel protected in His presence, right? Because when we are in the presence of God, all of those aspects, all of those feelings, all of those uh, you know, characteristics, we should experience them. Because if we physically saw God with us, we would not be distracted by anything else. If God appeared to us right now, we wouldn't be looking at our phones and we wouldn't be concerned about tomorrow and we wouldn't be thinking about anything. We would just be experiencing the presence of God, right? So the idea of experiencing this presence of God is, is, is the goal of prayer, right? So we use the books to help us to achieve this. We have personal prayers to help us achieve this. We use words to help us achieve this, but even words is not necessary for prayer. You can pray without words. You can pray in complete silence because you can be in silence and experience the, the presence of God, the awareness of his presence, even in silence. So when we think about what prayer means, we should think about what is the end goal of the prayer and what is the, really the meaning of prayer, not just the external activity that we do that is prayer. Okay, Because sometimes we do the external activity of prayer and we're not actually praying. We're not actually coming into the the awareness of god's presence we are just doing an action that i'm not to say that that action is useless because that action is training that is helping me to reach the point of being aware of god's presence but i have not yet achieved that i have not yet been 
aware of his presence. Okay, so this is the remembrance of God, that we are his creation, that we are supported only by God, that we have sinned against him, that we have been redeemed by him, that our life is, te our life is temporary, that our life in heaven is eternal. All, all the aspects of the reality of heaven and earth and God's presence and all of this and, and why we are here and that he is our creator and like all of these things come to mind. Because when I think about those things, I put things in perspective. You know, when I think about that God is the one who created me and that I'm not going to stay here forever, it puts things in perspective. Maybe the things that distract me in my life, that keep me from being able to focus on prayer, are things that shouldn't be distracting. Maybe I spend so much time worrying about a problem that I have that keeps me from praying, praying, that keeps me from enjoying the liturgy, that keeps me from praying to God in this in this sense of the internal work of prayer because I'm worried about something that is a temporary problem that is not going to last forever. Whereas God, it will last forever and my relationship with him will last forever. Okay, so we say, what's wrong with church books? These prayers should be guides to our own prayers but we truly connect with God in our personal prayers. We benefit from written prayers when we make them our own. Okay, And this is another aspect of the written prayers is we should use the written prayers. But even as we are using the written prayers, we should what put ourselves in the place of the writer of those prayers. When we read the Psalms, we should put ourselves in the place of the psalmist the one who wrote the Psalms, and make it as our own words that we are praying to God. Because certainly the words themselves are beautiful and they are complete and they cover so many different aspects. And we say, I want to pray these words to God from my own. So St. Dimitri, he goes on, he says, As for the secret communion of God in the heart, they know nothing of this, nor of the prophet that comes from it, nor do they ever taste its spiritual sweetness. Those who only hear about spiritual prayer and meditation and have no direct knowledge of it are like men blind from birth who hear about the sunshine without ever knowing what it really is. Okay, what, what is he saying here? Good. Yes. So, so he's he's saying it is so great to be in the presence of God, but we unfortunately could be in that presence and not even realize that we are in the presence. Just like a blind person might be outside in the presence of a very bright sun, and yet that person has no concept of the sun, and has no experience of the sun, and doesn't even know what the sun is, right? And 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 doesn't have that that experience because they are blind. Okay, so he's saying that in, in these aspects that people can be spiritually blind. Okay, they hear these words, right? Like, for instance, meditation. Uh, he says, what spiritual prayer and meditation? We use those words. We have a rough idea of what does it mean to pray? What does it mean to meditate? What does it mean? Okay, and, but really, what we, what we, what we, what we imagine, um, 
is the image of somebody doing those things. Again, like I said before, like when we think of somebody praying, maybe somebody who is closing their eyes or someone who is standing in prayer or in a posture of prayer and so on, right? But, but those, that is an external aspect of it, but maybe we don't taste that, the internal aspect, right? And that's what he is saying, right? The secret communion of God, the secret communion. It is a communion that is hidden. It is a communion that not everybody necessarily has experienced, nor do we even realize that we are lacking it. And this is important. Do, we might not even realize that something is lacking. You know, sometimes people will feel burnt out in their spiritual life. And sometimes we feel um, like frustrated because I am, maybe look around me and I see a lot of people that believe in God and do things like godly activities and I do them as well. But inside of me, I feel a bit dead and I feel a bit frustrated and I feel a bit like exhausted. Like I keep doing these things and I don't, I'm not like, how long can I keep doing this, right? Is this the fullness of what I should be doing? Is this really, is this actions that I'm doing? How long can I keep this up? That I'm doing actions, actions, actions. I'm going to church, I'm going to church, I'm going to church. I'm like, like without feeling that there has been any change in me, without feeling there's been any connection to God in me, without feeling anything. And then we, we don't even realize that maybe something is even missing, okay? Again, I, I want to emphasize on this that there's, if, if we haven't reached that point where we have fully experienced a God in our spiritual life, this isn't something that should make us um, afraid or make us angry or feel like there's something wrong. This is a process, okay? But when we talk about, okay, we need to have a spiritual discipline. And in this spiritual discipline, we need to pray every day. And in this spiritual discipline, we need to read the Bible every day. In this spiritual discipline, we need to fast. In this spiritual discipline, we need to do all these things. Even when those things, we don't necessarily experience from them this great and amazing feeling as we do them, right? Just like we tell our kids, you have to eat your vegetables, okay? You have to eat every day. And even though you don't like it, you will eventually experience the benefits from that. And you will eventually realize why you had to do this all along, okay? So just because we're not experiencing this doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. It just means that maybe further along, there is a greater experience, there is a greater depth of spiritual, spiritual life that I haven't yet tasted yet. And I, and I have hope for it, right? And I look forward to it. So, so we do a lot of things, and a lot of them we do it out of discipline and out of obligation and out of duty and out of a sense of this is what is right, even though it is difficult. And I think I mentioned before that we have a disease, and that disease is sin, which keeps us from enjoying the spiritual life a lot of times, right? We, we, we don't enjoy the presence of God because of our sin. And, you know, we read about, for instance, the lives of saints, where we read, like, uh, the saints who would, um, you know, like St. Beshoy, for instance. St. Beshoy, he would enjoy his prayer so much that he would tie his hair with a rope to the ceiling, to keep himself from falling asleep all night so he would continue in prayer the entire night until the sun rises in the morning, right? Can you imagine, you know, maybe this is such a foreign concept to us, like, I would never do this. You know, I can't wait to be done with my prayers and go to sleep. And you're saying you're trying to keep yourself from going to sleep so you can continue to pray all night? Clearly, when we look at the lives of the saints, we see that their 
level of spirituality is so much deeper and different than maybe we experience. Okay, and we ask the question, why is that? Are they like genetically different? Is there something just different about them that God created them differently than he created other people and they're like abnormal people and they're not really like us, right? But they are like us. We are all human beings, okay? We are the same. But they, through practice and through consecration and through dedication and to avoid distraction of the world, they focused so much on this until they discovered the beauty and tasted the presence of God to where it became joyful, truly joyful. And they experienced this, what? Remembrance of God, the secret communion of God in the heart. That even if someone cannot fully explain it, but they enjoy it and they enjoy being with God and it is not a difficulty. It is not, it is not because I'm forcing myself to do anything at this point. It is I enjoy So why is this communion secret? Okay, Christ said, when you pray, go into your room, right? Going into your room it can be taken in a, like a literal sense. Like, okay, when we pray, we need to be free of distraction. So go into your room in a place that is quiet and so we can pray. But go into your room also means what? Go inside yourself in a spirit of contemplation, in a spirit of um, uh, like, like trying to find and to examine what is inside. What is truly the obstacles that keep us from prayer? And God is spirit and communicates through the spirit. This is also why it's secret. There is no physical manifestation of this experience, this remembrance of God. In John 3, verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. The one who is born of the spirit, it is the spirit is something invisible, like the wind. It blows. It has an action. When you see the wind blowing, it can you can you know even strong wind can can knock down a tree, you know strong wind can rustle things. It can move things, but all the while the wind is invisible, and you can't see the wind. It's a, it's like a secret. Okay, so this is what he's saying. There is a, there is a, there is this, the work of the spirit inside a person which is invisible, and yet this spirit has a great effect. Okay, let me ask you this question. Are we blind from birth? And how can a blind person tell that they are blind? We're not blind. Okay. Yeah. But how do they know that that's not normal? Good. So if you had a colony of people that were born in blindness, and these people never had any interaction with anybody in the outside world, they would never realize that there's anything wrong, that anything was lacking, because their experience matches the experience of everybody around them, and so everything seems fine and normal, right? It's only when there's a person who can see, who then talks to them and says, well, can you see this? And they say, what do you mean, can you see this? Well, I see this, and I see this, and I see this. And you begin to realize that there's other people with capabilities that are different than what I have, and they're able to do things that I cannot do. And if certainly a lot of people all agree that they can see a tree, that they can see light, that they can see color, that they can see all of these things, and that because they can see, they are able to function more effectively in the world 
as a result of that sense that they have, then I begin to acknowledge that in fact, even though I don't want to hear it, and even though I wish it were not true, that there's something about me that's missing. There's something missing that I trust that other people are telling me the truth when they say that I am blind, that there is something I'm missing, right? So the way that a blind person finds out that they're blind is because other people will tell them. But in order for me to, to, to believe that, I have to trust what they're saying, right? I, ha I have to believe that these people that are telling me that I'm blind are not tricking me. They're not lying to me. They have, they, it's not like they... They, they are trying to harm me in any way, but I trust them that what they are saying is true, that I actually am missing something. There's something really lacking in me. And this is what Christ was coming to the, to the world to tell us. And this is what the prophets came to tell us. And this is what all of like the holy people in the scripture, this is the message of salvation. He's, he's coming to us and he's saying, all of you are blind and I have come to give you sight. All of you are blind and I have come to give you sight. And those people that believe the message that they are blind are the ones that receive sight. And those people that were adamantly refusing to accept that they were blind and believed that they could see everything and believed that their vision was perfect, those are the ones that continue to remain blind, right? No, they understood what he was saying. They understood that he was speaking from a spiritual sense, just like we do, right? We we understand when Christ is saying, like 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 when he's saying you are blind. He's he, he's not meaning that we're physically blind. He, he he we know we understand that he's speaking about a spiritual blindness, and that spiritual blindness, right? And the reason the analogy for blindness is it prevents us from seeing the truth, and it prevents us from seeing a reality that exists that's around us and we simply do not know it, right? Just like the example of the sun. When this blind person in the example of the sun goes outside the sun, even though it is so strong that a person who sees, if they look directly at the sun, they'll go blind. This, uh, this blind person doesn't even realize there's a sun, okay? So he's saying from a spiritual perspective that those who are blind are living in the world completely unaware that there is a larger world that there is a greater truth and a greater reality that exists. And that this greater truth and greater reality is far more real, far more definite, far more long-lasting, far more sure than anything that you can see. But the only way that you can ever believe or, or know that this is the case is because we have to believe the words of another person who is coming to tell us who can see, and that's exactly what Christ did. He came to us with eyes that see, and he tells us the reality. He says, this is the truth. Do you accept my words or not? Right? Do you accept that I can see or not? And certainly Christ did many things that no one else could do and said many things that no one else could know to, to, to make it clear to us that he really does see something that we do not see, that he knows something we do not know. And again, there are those who accepted it and there are those who didn't. So who is it that's going to know God? Who is it that is going to experience God in this inner closet, the secret communion? It's the one who acknowledges that he is there and that he is true and that he is real and the one who goes after this knowledge, the one who seeks it, 
right? Anyone who seeks after knowledge sacrifices to achieve that knowledge. Like if you think about any of your careers, uh, any, any studying you've done, you sacrifice a lot in order to achieve that degree. You sacrifice time and energy. You sacrifice other things that you could have been doing instead of studying. You sacrifice your money for paying to go to higher education and so on. You sacrificed a lot to achieve some knowledge that you believed was important and you was necessary and was valuable, right? So then Christ asks us, so what are you sacrificing to achieve this secret knowledge, this communion with God, this remembrance of God, this awareness of God? What are you what are you sacrificing? This is the question that's like being posed to us. Do you believe that there is something out there to learn? Do you believe that there's something out there that, that maybe we haven't experienced yet that we don't know? And when the church provides us with prayer books and it provides us with all of these resources, it's why. It's so that we, though being blind, can open our eyes to see what was previously to us invisible. And the church is saying, there is something there, but you must discover it. Simply because we are orthodox, simply because we go to church, simply because we pray with the Agbeya, simply because we do certain things, doesn't mean that we have truly opened our eyes and can see. We are on the path, we are closer, we are working toward that, but it doesn't mean that we have yet achieved the fullness of sight, right? Which is why the saints and the faith that they had and the martyrs, what would make the martyrs so 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 easy for them to give up their lives for the sake of Christ, it is because they saw Christ so clearly. It is because they were so aware of him, because his reality was so present to them, to where this wasn't like it wasn't a question. It wasn't something that I had to like like wrestle with. It simply was the only option. It's because he is real in that sense. Whereas many of us, we still struggle to see him. We still struggle to have this communion with him. To when presented with such a sacrifice, we, we stumble and it's difficult for us. And again, I just want to emphasize, if that is where we are, which <laughs> most of us are here, um, this is not wrong. It's not because we've done something wrong. It's not because something is bad. It's because we are still on that road. But we have to keep acknowledging that there is a road, there is a process, and we are on that process, and we have to keep pushing forward instead of just saying, you know, where I am, that's the fullness of everything. No, maybe we still have blindness. Maybe we still don't fully see the picture, and we have to still keep walking forward. And this is, again, why the church gives us spiritual discipline, right? Grow yourself. Grow closer to God. Sacrifice for the sake of God, sacrifice your fleshly desires and you will see him more clearly. So St. Dimitri, he says, man is dual, exterior and interior, flesh and spirit. The outer man is visible of the flesh, but the inner man is invisible, spiritual, or what the Apostle Peter terms the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And St. Paul refers to the duality when he says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed. So here he's speaking about this um, duality, right? The flesh and the spirit, that there is a part of us that doesn't want to see, or there's a part of us that feels like we already see fully. And there's that part says, it's too much effort for you to try to gain any more sight. Just be happy where you are, be content with what you can see now, and enjoy yourself, right? This is the flesh. The Spirit says, don't be satisfied with where you are now. 
because what is still invisible to you is of far greater value and is far more enjoyable and is far more real than anything you currently have. And this is the fight. The fight of one saying, just enjoy yourself now. The other one is saying, sacrifice what you have now for something greater. Okay? How much time do we spend thinking about the outer man versus growing the inner man? What do you think? How much time? Nine to ten? Ninety percent the outer man and ten percent the inner man. Okay? Any other opinion? Ninety-nine percent. Right? What what would be some activities that grow the outer man, and what are some activities that grow the inner man? Eating and working out—that's the outer man, right there. It's a lot of time eating and working out, right? Okay, eating, working out. What else? Career. What else? Huh? Family. Okay work, entertainment, sleep, vacation, lots of stuff, right? And those are all the things that we look forward to, right? Those are all the things we enjoy. Those are all the things that we do when we have time. When we have free time, I want to go on vacation. When I have free time, I want to work out. When I have free time, I want to eat and I want to enjoy in eating. Social media, I want to I wanna talk to people. I want to I do all kinds of stuff, right? Okay. What are, what are the activities that grow the inner man? Okay, listening to sermons, prayer, attending church, reading, okay? Okay, service, right? Service to other people, okay? And if you think about these activities... These activities are not the things that we necessarily want to jump to do when we have free time. These are activities that we have to push ourselves to do because we know they're right. Okay? Confession. Right? And as we said, the majority of the time, we are doing the first category by far rather than the second category. Okay? So here's the question. Why do we invest so much time in the outer man that is perishing and not the inner one that is being renewed? Okay, it's what we can see. And why is that important? <coughs> okay, program. We've been programmed by the world to focus on the outer man. Okay? Instant gratification, right? Because the outer man, these activities, they give us immediate pleasure. Some immediate positive feedback. Whereas the work that we do for the inner man doesn't necessarily give us any visible or immediate benefit. Okay? What else? Because it's a temptation. We are tempted in one direction. We are not tempted in the other direction. We are tempted to please the flesh. We are not tempted to please the spirit. Okay? What else? We follow what we see most people doing. The majority of people are just going after the outer man, so that seems like a normal activity. That's normally what people do, right? So we are like we are people, so we do what people do. Okay? What else? Okay. 
So a lot of the activities of the outer man are necessary. We, we, can't, we can't say that everything about the outer man is, is, is wrong because actually God created us to have bodies. He didn't create us only as spirits, like we're not angels. There are a lot of things we must do. We must have education. We, we must work out. We, 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 we must have diversion. You know, there, there are a lot of things that even St. Anthony himself, when he tried to dedicate himself 100% to prayer and there was no other activity that he was trying to do, he got burnt out and an angel appeared to him and essentially told him, you cannot pray nonstop. You must have some diversion. You must stop and relax a little bit, right? And there's a famous story where, um, where St. Anthony was sitting with some monks and an archer who had a bow and arrow, he came to him. And he noticed that the monks were not doing anything. Like they were just sitting around talking. They were not praying. They were not doing any activity. And so like the archer was like, what are you guys, aren't you guys monks? Like why are you just sitting around here talking and relaxing? And so St. Anthony told them, take your bow and pull the, pull the bow. So he did it. And then he let it go. And then he said, now do it again. And so he did it a second time. And then he let it go. And he said, now do it a third time. So the archer told him, if I keep pulling the bow, it's going to get overstretched and it's going to break. And so St. Anthony told him, that's exactly like human beings. You know, we are limited. We, we cannot be 100% all the time doing productive things. We need a break, right? In this aspect of there are, there are a lot of activities that we need to do for the outer man that are necessary and good, but only when done in moderation, and this is actually more difficult than if we didn't do them at all. You know, sometimes to avoid something completely is easier than to do it in moderation. Moderation is like the perfect balance of, you know what, I can do something that is necessary for my body, but I don't overindulge in it, which is gluttonous, right? And so this balance of how much time do we spend for our, our outer man versus how much time do we spend on our inner man this is a very important question. But I think of the answers that everybody gave about how much percentage of time we give on each, we can see that we're very, very heavily weighted on the outer man and we're very little weight on the inner man, okay? And so we can surmise from this, you know, it's kind of like young children, of course, born into the world not knowing anything. The only reason that they learn is because they go to school for eight hours a day and they begin to learn and the next day they go to school again and the next day they go to school again and the next day they go to school again and so they learn about the world and about how to do things, right? But that's because they invested time, their parents forced them to invest the time to go to school and learn, okay? Had they not done this, imagine a child who doesn't ever go to school, they would grow up pretty ignorant. They wouldn't know a lot of things, right? So imagine from a spiritual perspective if this is what we are. Imagine if it's like I never, I never invest that time to grow in God. And, and again, what I'm talking about here is not Sunday school knowledge. It's not, it's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about investing time for the inner man. Not just investing time in learning about God and lessons. and That's not what I mean. Because that, that um, teaches the brain, the mind, but the inner man is deeper than the mind. It is relationship with God. It is knowing God. It is being in the presence of God. It's being aware. It's the remembrance of God, right? That's what we were talking about, the inner man. 
So when I'm talking about growing in the spiritual life, I don't just mean reading books. Reading books is a part of it. I don't mean just going to listen to sermons. Listening to sermons is a part of it. I'm talking about being in the presence of God, experiencing God, and having joy in His presence. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Because even the reading and those other activities, if done in isolation, separate from being in the presence of God and prayer, those, those things in themselves might give us a false uh, indication of spirituality. That's very good. You know, I, it is possible to have prayer in a lot of different venues, okay? But what is the focus of prayer is that we are aware of the presence of God. And there are a lot of different ways to do that, okay? So, you know, it's good to have time in the day that's consecrated for God, right? It's good to listen to sermons in the car. It's good to sing hymns in the car it's good to do a lot of things in the car because typically we don't have anything else we can do right but to have time consecrated for instance like let's say you're uh, engaged and you have a relationship and um and you told your fiance the only time that i'm going to speak to you is when i'm driving in the car and that's it but that's not what we do we say no i want to go with you somewhere and you are the only one that's there and you're the only one with me, and you're the only one that has my 100% attention because this is your time. It's focused for you. And it's a sacrifice for sure because this is because I'm saying you are more important than anything else. So while listening to sermons in the car and doing those things in the car is good and beneficial and we should do them, right? But that can't be the only time and the only way that I spend time with God, right? So, but I think we, we understand the concept, okay? That investing the, the time to grow the spirit, the inner man, is very important or else we will become like uneducated in the spirit, uneducated in the spiritual life. So God willing, we can continue next time. Do you have any questions or comments about this? And anything that, this is why in the church, there are so many physical objects and physical things that we do to help our bodies to participate in the prayer. For instance, we have candles that you can see. You have incense that you can smell, right? We have icons, right, that again, we can see. There's a lot of things that we want our bodies to participate in worship, which helps us in the prayer experience, right? Good. Okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask you, O God, that you help strengthen our inner man, the secret place inside of each one of us that is seeking communion with you.
Help us, O Lord, to strengthen our spirits and to see you and to taste your goodness, O Lord, in a more real way inside each of us. And while we do many external activities, we ask, O God, that you bless those activities to help us to connect with you and to see, O Lord, your goodness and your presence in a deep and meaningful way. Grant us, O Lord, and all your people a desire for you, O Lord, and a desire to know your truth. Strengthen us and protect us from temptation and lead us, O Lord, into your kingdom. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.